Hello, hello, and welcome to Community Voices, a platform for voices of the community recreation industry. Uh, I'm Brittany, the editor of Community Rec Magazine. Uh, today, I am joined by two leaders of the Eugene Family YMCA. We have Brian Stephan, he's the CEO, and then we also have Chief Development Officer Daniel Yulhorn with us today. Welcome. Thanks, Great Brittany. to be here. Yes. So how are you all today? How is the lovely state of Oregon? It's incredible. We've got a sunny day. We haven't seen one of those since like October. So everybody's looking to go on a hike. Oh, since I was like, wow, October, that feels like forever ago. <laughs> so you guys are ready for spring. <laughs> Absolutely. Perfect. That is great to hear. Well, before we jump into specific questions about the project, which I know we are here to talk about today, um, I would just love to know what brought each of you to the Eugene Family YMCA. Um, maybe just starting with Brian, can you just tell me what your journey's been like? Yeah, I've been the CEO here for about five years, and I've been a CEO in the Y movement for a little over seven. I came to Eugene from Missoula, Montana. I was with their YMCA. And prior to that, I spent a decade as the CEO of a totally different type of nonprofit, totally different industry. But in that work, I was involved with a lot of state and national public health initiatives. That was my first exposure to the YMCA movement. And I was really inspired by their early intervention work with youth and children as well as their broad spectrum impact with individuals from all different ages and socioeconomic backgrounds. So after a decade with that company, I joined the Y movement and have a look back. I've just loved every moment of it. Yeah, that is, I feel like a common, like it's a unique but common story that I always love hearing. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Danielle, what about you? Um, sure. Well, I've was first introduced to the Y, including the Eugene Family YMCA, about 18 years ago when my husband and I moved back to the area to raise our kids and found ourselves in, um, you know, a little bit of a financial crisis as we tried to navigate the medical system with um, our newborn who was having a lot of medical issues. And so we um, looked to the Y for support. They offered us financial assistance to get us through that hard time and uh, really ended up becoming a second family to us. And so a number of years later, I was invited to join the board served on the board um, and was the board president for about six years as we were launching uh, this campaign for a new why. And in 2018, um, joined the staff in this role to help um, lead with Brian on the fundraising for the new why. Wow, okay, what that, that's a story that I actually don't think I've heard. That's amazing. <laughs> ah, it's been a labor of love for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Did you, so you said you moved back to Oregon. Where did you live before? We had spent about a decade in Seattle during our twenties. Um, I was launching my career in media and um, my husband was launching his glass blowing business. And so um, toward the end of our twenties started having kids and just had this urge to move back to Oregon to Eugene, where my husband had um, grown up as a kid. Oh, nice. Okay, 
cool. I'm always curious where everybody's been. So that's awesome. Okay. All right. So thanks for sharing about your backgrounds. Um, let's talk about the, the project. So um, I read that it is expected to, the new Eugene Family YMCA is expected to open its doors in December. So that's about like eight or nine months to go roughly. I know that sometimes timelines change. Um, okay, so my first question is just how are you both feeling right now? I'll let Danielle start. She's been involved <laughs> with it longer than I have been. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I can't lie. It's only a block and a half away from our current facility and that it is intended to replace our, our current Y um, as our new flagship Y. And I drive by it every day on my way to work. And it just it honestly doesn't feel real yet, even though the walls are going up. And that was really incredible to be able to celebrate a groundbreaking after so many years getting to this point. Um it, it still feels um, pretty surreal, but so exciting. And it's so great to hear all of the community members, um, you know, uh, just share how excited they are for the new why to finally um, be coming to fruition. Yeah. And you'd mentioned like getting to see the walls. That was something I wanted to ask about too. So like you've been to the site too, and you've been able to like walk around now that there are walls up. I want to know like what that feels like to like envisioning what it's going to look like. Yeah, so I, I first became aware of this project when I was the CEO of the Missoula YMCA and knew a, a woman named Julie Grossman, who was the previous CEO here in Eugene. We were at meetings together in Chicago and and she was talking about things going on in Eugene. And I thought it sounded incredible. When she moved back to Wisconsin to, um, to lead a Y there in her hometown and to support her parents, I uh, was thrilled to have a chance to look at this job late 2017, started really looking at it. And so for me, um, it feels surreal to have learned about this project so circumspectly and now to have uh, such a, uh, you know, a part in it. And it, it feels really emotional sometimes and tender to walk by and think about all of the thousands of people who have had to support this project through years of dreaming and believing and adjusting and COVID and uncertainty and inflation and labor markets, all the things that a facility would have gone through over the past several years and to see it be real and tangible and coming soon, it's, uh, it feels really remarkable. And, you know, emotions are obviously excited, but also just filled with humility and gratitude for the people who made it possible. Mm, yeah. When you were listing those like uh, those obstacles to overcome, you just like they just kept coming. <laughs> you know, each obstacle is like those are a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, I can imagine like the emotional feeling and, and driving by. You said it's so close, um, and especially because it's it's taking place of the current Y instead of you know, um, well, it's a whole separate build instead of like a renovation. So the feelings behind that, I can imagine, it's a lot. And so, um, and Danielle, you had mentioned too. So to step back to when the idea for this whole project originated. Um, so 
again, I believe I read, so you said that the efforts to build the facility, they've been underway for more than a decade, which is quite a long time. So can you just kind of walk us through the start of that process? Sure. Well, I wasn't here at the start of the process. I don't think any of us were, but you know, what we do know is we heard lots of stories about when did they first start talking about building a new Y and it goes back decades. Um, It was, however, um, in 2012 that the board, you know, officially voted to move forward with launching um, the capital campaign, which spent several years in the quiet phase. Um, You know, prior to that, there had been a lot of work to try to identify the land. And so um, it was very public because that land acquisition was very public. So there's always been an impression that this campaign has been going on forever. And so um, fortunately we were able to identify the land and start putting some of those pieces together to really truly launch the quiet phase of the capital campaign. And, you know, as Brian said, there's been a number of challenges through that process, not only the ones that he listed, but we went through a few leadership changes during that time time and um, and needing to um, really invest the time and energy to educate the community about what the why was doing. Um, you know, people have known about the why. We've been in this community for 135 years, but they really didn't understand how deep and intentional our work had become beyond swim lessons and, you know, shooting hoops. So we really um, were strategic in ensuring that we had the resources available to educate the community about the work that the Y was doing with disease prevention and our financial uh, assistance program and whatnot. And um, that played a huge part um, in getting the buy-in from so many thousands of people uh, when they finally went, wow, that sounds amazing. And yes, I want to, I want to support it. And so, um, you know, we spent a handful of years in the quiet phase, Brian came on board and, you know, at that point was really able to, uh, be in a position to push that project, um, forward and go public and, you know, um, be sidetracked a bit by COVID and learn how to overcome that and whatnot. So um, it's, you know, been in people's minds for decades, really um, launched in 2012. And over the last handful of years under Brian's leadership, we've, you know, been able to bring all the pieces together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and Brian, did you, when you, so from your perspective, when you came on, did you want to add to that? Like what, what that looked like and felt for you when you came on? Yeah. So when I arrived in May, May 1st of 2018, about $4 million was committed to the project. And I think it had an estimated total project cost of around $36 million. And so we, we knew a lot of work was ahead of us. We knew a lot of conversations and storytelling and and mission alignment. All of all of those pieces were ahead of us. We had a husband and wife, Bill and Michelle Service, who Bill was on the Wise Board. He and his wife had committed a million dollars to the project already. Early on, when I got here, they said, you know, we need to see momentum moving forward. We want to help that momentum. Um, continue. And so they increased their gift by $3 million, committing a total of of $4 million. 
that then allowed us to go to the state of Oregon in 2019 and to demonstrate momentum to the legislators and they contributed $15 million to the project. That gift, those, the combination of all of those gifts really demonstrated to the community that there was significant investment and interest in the project. The state funding that we received is extremely competitive and and it took a lot of, of effort to help that rise to the top in a very competitive area. And so, you know, today the projects, a $48 million project, our understanding is that's one of the most expensive wise in America. Part of that is the story of inflation and labor markets and all of that. But it's amazing, we have about $46 million committed to the project. And that more than a dollar, it represents a profound belief in an organization and an understanding that investing in the YMCA is not just investing in a place with pools and basketballs and treadmills, but it's investing in an organization that transforms the health and education of a community and that has been the really remarkable part. Just, just this morning, I was down at the Y site giving a tour to a new legislator here in, in Lane County, Oregon. Their first time seeing it, learning about the Y story. And I love those moments when their eyes light up and they go, I had no idea the Y was doing that for disease or illness or youth education or ultra-abled individuals, seniors, what, whatever their area of focus is, there's almost always that spark when, they, when somebody says, I, I had no idea and how can I get behind that as an organization? And so to see, to see that and to do it during COVID and all of these you know, periods has been really special because more than a building, we're transforming the lives of people in the community. And it's not just for the future, it's all of us today, philanthropists and you know, community leaders, it's taught us something about ourselves and how we can respond to a challenge and still rise above it and find a solution to keep moving something that we all collectively believe in forward and to not lose hope, to not get derailed, to not, to not uh, allow it to um, you know, stagnate or slip aside. Yeah, no, that's incredibly motivational. <laughs> yeah, I love that, or like inspirational, motivational, um, yeah. So you, we talked a little bit about the funding and I want to recap because you, you touched on a lot, you both touched on a lot of different areas where you were gaining support for this new project through the community. So I have some of those here. So I want to recap them because it was a lot. So you had, so there was 15 million, you said from the state of Oregon, it 2 million in federal dollars and 4 million from local philanthropists um, and the supporters you mentioned, Bill and Michelle Service. Um, and then 1.25 million from Peace Health for the medical partnership, and then 1.5 million from the Chambers family as well. So, which is an incredible amount of community support. And as you touched on, and um, you know, the way that you've been able to show people what that facility is more than a gym and a swim and um, 
childcare, even, you know, like some of those smaller things, but like you mentioned, some of the, the bigger things that you all offer. So I wanted to see, again, you already touched on it, but even elaborating on just how you were able to gain that community support. And even in just like the small details, you mentioned storytelling and, you know, the impact and how those are so important. Um, of course, like how those are already just so important to the why. Um, so before I keep rambling, I'm going to turn it back over to you and just if you can share about gaining that support. Yeah. Danielle. Well, timing's everything, right? And as I mentioned, you know, really being intentional and investing in educating the community about the work that we were doing. Um, I'll say that we hadn't done a lot of marketing efforts um, prior to launching this campaign because our programs were full. And we couldn't support, um, you know, inviting more community members to join our programs. And so we really, um, you know, we're starting, um, you know, from from square one, but, you know, utilized, uh, you know, onboarded a marketing team. We hadn't had one previously, um, developed uh, a development program. We did not have development staff um, prior to launching the program or the campaign and um, really uh, took the opportunity through PR and paid advertising to get that message out, to tell the stories, to tell the stories of how families like me were um, you know, saved by, you know, the support of financial assistance and how cancer survivors were rebuilding their strength and their hope through, um, through our Livestrong at the YMCA program. And the list just goes on and on. And so we took several, several years to do that, um, as well as, you know, investing the time to meet with and develop those relationships with the philanthropists in our community, many of which um, had a, a long history with our why decades before helping, you know, to build our current why. And so reconnecting with those families, updating them on the impact their parents had by supporting the why back in the 50s and so on. Um, it just really started to, to build momentum. Um, and then the pandemic hit. And that really gave us the opportunity to walk the talk, you know, here we have shown in our history how we have, um, you know, stepped up when the community need a, needed us to fill gaps in various ways over all the decades and the challenges that our community had faced. And so here we were with the pandemic, um, what, what could we do um, to, to step in and help? And so when schools closed and um, distance learning um, became the norm, you know, we figured out how we could remain open and continue that child care, shifting from a three-hour after-school program to a 10-hour in-person distance learning support program. And our staff just did such an incredible job of overcoming their own challenges, right, in their household. We all faced it. To, to be here at the Y and, and really support the community by not only providing that service, but doing it at no cost. Um, first supporting our frontline um, uh, in the community and then expanding that to other families who were really struggling with trying to manage teaching their kids and, and working. And so 
um, that really opened the eyes to a lot of people to see how the why can play a role in really supporting a community during during a crisis. And um, uh, Brian's done an amazing job of working with our project partners as a result of that experience to ensure that this new facility is better equipped to manage, um, you know, something like that again in the future. Certainly, uh, we'll be better prepared for a pandemic, and you never really know what's going to hit you. But by building flexible spaces and to the highest seismic standard, you know, we're we're sharing with our community that the Y is going to be there in a in a catastrophic event to support the community, and that's just played a huge part in um, building that support and momentum. Mm. Yeah, I I think uh, a few things. All of that that Danielle said inspires me every day as well, <laughs> and I think a couple other things that have uh, sparked inspiration for me, and that I believe have proved foundational to success. So Danielle and I are are pretty new with our why. Um, we both joined here in two thousand and eighteen. But almost all of our program directors have been with our Y over 20 years. And wow. so we have a really beautiful dynamic of staff who have long history with serving the community and having an impact. And, and so that, that dynamic of newer leaders and, and seasoned leaders has really been pretty special. So I, I believe that one of the things that we've seen success with as an organization is investing in frontline staff, letting them know that it's their stories, their daily impacts that are making a difference when you can walk downstairs at our Y and meet a preschool teacher who's been here for 23, 24 years. We, when, I, when I joined this Y, I met lifeguards who had been with the Y for 10 years those type of connections really demonstrate, a, a, you know, hundreds of employees. I, we have about 250 employees who really believe in the mission and are striving to serve the community. The other thing that we focused on a lot is really building very authentic um, relationships and connecting with our history. We work with the University of Oregon and they've helped archive our, you know, our archives, we've spent a lot of time understanding our history, those who helped to build us and really looking at those leaders whose shoulders we stand on and whose legacy has helped this project be successful. And, and then of course, just not meeting with people for just a donation, but touching, um, you know, connecting with them, reaching out, having touch points throughout the year. Danielle and I write hundreds and hundreds of handwritten notes and cards every every year. And I think that those things that show that you celebrate your past, authentically want to build a relationship and honor those staff who really are the ones changing lives of individuals who will grow up to be philanthropists when they're grandparents, those are all of the components that have been really special. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like I, it's like everything that you're saying, it feels like this was a very natural thing that happened, honestly, um, like in your community, like getting a new facility sounds very natural 
to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it can be natural in a lot of communities. I think, unfortunately, one of the things that a lot of individuals in nonprofit sectors slip into is what I would call a scarcity mindset. And our team here just fundamentally doesn't have that. And it's the absence of that and that belief in the, you know, a bold dream that allows something that could seem really daunting to be possible because there's, believe me, there's been so many days when you go, wow, this, this is crazy. I mean, before we broke ground, our, our project was escalating and costs $145,000 per week. So, you know, Danielle might come in excited to say, well, we raised $17,000. We just had a donation. Well, we covered today's inflation. So <laughs> it was just, you know, yeah. things like that, that could have seemed so daunting. And there was, there was never a moment of doubt, even in COVID when people would say, I guess that the dream is done. It's not going to happen. There, there was never a moment of doubt because giving up means giving up on changing children's lives and helping people live longer. And of course, our community and our staff and our board would never allow that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So one thing I definitely, not one thing, multiple things I want to talk about when we are talking about the new facility are the amenities and features. And Danielle, you touched on a couple of those that I was going to come back to um, because in talking about like making this facility for the community and for those members who are already coming um, and for the staff who have been there for decades. So I, you know, looked at some of the amenities that you all are expecting and I wanted to list some of those and then kind of talk about what, you know, what that means and, you know, the reason behind those choices and just kind of elaborate there. So, you know, one of the ones you first said was the fully ADA accessible, flexible floor plan that can be changed as needed. Um, I'll list through these and then we'll come back to them. And then activity centers for academic tutoring, maker spaces and learning labs, a teaching kitchen to gain nutritional knowledge, um, expanded health and wellness center, um, as well as an expanded aquatic center, uh, addition of uh, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's programs, and then, as you mentioned, the highest level of seismic standards, um, which is funny to me in a landlocked Kentucky, uh, thinking about the coast, because I'm like, that's right, that, you know, um, some of our facilities don't even have to worry about that here. And then that's something that you all have to, to add in. And so, yeah, even starting with that first one, when you say flexible floor plan, that really sticks out to me. Um, so can you kind of elaborate on that and the choice and what that's going to look like? Sure. I'm, I'm going to tee it off to Brian um, to talk more detail about um, some of those attributes of the of the new building. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. Well, you covered the list really well. Um, but I think at its heart, what what the list represents, what the vision represents is understanding the needs of your community. If, if any number of us just sat down with an architect and said, this is what I like or my kids like, let's build it, you're going to have a disconnect. So we've, you know, we've done market assessments, of course, having staff who have been around for decades and have served hundreds, thousands of families and have heard stories helped. So we've really tried to design the why in a way that is able to 
grow with the emerging needs of our communities. And some of those changes started early on, some were made during COVID. Um, during COVID, as we were going through the final, the final construction drawings, getting ready for a building permit, I was so proud of our board and our staff, we paused the project and said, people are coming out of the woodwork looking for the why to be here in a moment of crisis. Let's think about the next hundred years that this building is going to be here. What do we need to think about where a crisis might come? And so a few things jumped out. We believe that the impact to youth education will be pronounced and prolonged. We believe that communities will need more investments in youth education for years to come. So we expanded our youth development space at the new Y. And as we expanded that space, it grew the first floor. And so on the second floor above that expanded space, we were able to go in and put in an outdoor fitness terrace. We believe a desire for outdoor exercise space will be a component that will endure beyond COVID. And so we've, we've created this open air environment that's sheltered from the rain and the sun for now we can take classes out there. And the seismic upgrade that was during COVID as well. Um, that's not the code requirement here, but we knew that in the next hundred years, there could be a significant earthquake in the Pacific Northwest. And we didn't wanna build a $48 million project. And then 10 years from now have an earthquake come that then you know closes the Y forever because it can't operate. And we also knew that after an earthquake, people wouldn't be excited for a treadmill or a exercise bike, but the new Y will have multiple kitchens, multiple locker rooms, the ability to shelter our community. And that's what our Y's done for 135 years is evolve to meet the community needs and that, that ability to anticipate and see around a curve and, and think about what the community will need in decades to come is a critical part of building that investment because people want to invest in an organization that's not just um, envisioning how to meet today's needs, but is anticipating and demonstrating through DNA deep focus on innovation, um, you know, evolving and adjusting. And that's really what it's designed to do. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you saying, you know, next hundred years and that's, I don't know, it, it's such a large concept to wrap your head around, but I know that those conversations are happening and, and yeah, when you are built, like, so your current why you said it's been there for 135 years. So if you're building a new building, it's like, it's got to withstand, you know, another hundred, 135 plus years. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Um, well, yeah. So I wanted to see if there was anything else you all wanted to add about the project and even, you know, again, I know you're still going through it. You have a little bit of time. You all went through some challenges, you know, any of those learning lessons that you could share and advice, you know, as maybe other community centers are, are working on projects or renovations or anything of this size. Danielle? Well, um, you know, 
one of the things that I have learned in this process is that while there are so many incredible sources out there to support teams, you know, staff and volunteers on embarking on a capital campaign, there are steps and they look so simple on that one sheet. And uh, what we learned was it's important to take the steps. Um, we found ourselves go uh, going back and, and doing steps that we had skipped previously. Um, so the steps are important and to just be flexible and nimble. Um, you know, you have to be prepared to change the plan and adjust and continue and remain hopeful and determined um, because you'll get there. And, uh, you know, having had a few children, I often use, um, you know, writing a birth plan, like writing a capital campaign plan. <laughs> it will never go how you expect, but it's important to, to, to take that time to do that. And um, it's it's pretty, you know, incredible. You know, we're not talking about just fixing, you know, the challenges that we have at our at our future why by building a new why. We're we're talking about, um, you know, providing this community service to generations over the next hundred years. So, I encourage everybody to try to build a new why. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for me, one, and one of my favorite quotes is from an author named Simon Sinek that effectively goes something like, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's probably not big enough. And I love that idea of dreaming big and thinking boldly. And I think that it's critical when you're doing that, that you have a really special culture of, of trust and that that it's okay to take a risk and not every risk will pay out. You're going to make mistakes along the way, but that's been probably the most foundational part that has allowed our project to be successful is a very trusting board, a very trusting staff team that believes in one another. They celebrate the big points together, the high points, and they'll have a celebratory gathering, but they're also there with, you know, a card of support and notes of gratitude and words of affirmation when when some days are hard. And, and so I think that believing in one another and allowing each other to take risks is is really, really important because when you're when you're shooting for the stars, you're gonna you're gonna make some mistakes along the way and you're gonna look back and have some regrets and there's gonna be a day when you make a boneheaded decision but it's it's not those bumps along the way it's really the trajectory towards a big dream and that forward momentum that matters and so that's that's what i've loved here is that really really special culture that says um who cares about today just keep trying just keep moving forward and if you keep moving forward eventually you'll you'll reach that dream and it's that's that's why I feel so emotional when I'm down there at the site and and walking around with team the team members is because we did it together and you know Danielle and I didn't do this alone there's no story to tell if it's not preschool teachers and lifeguards changing lives and and they couldn't have built the why by just changing those lives and so it's a whole bunch of people coming together with marketing staff with staff talent with fundraising people with talent 
with lifeguards and group X instructors and teachers with talent. And of course, board members and cabinet members who are unbelievably selfless and giving up of donations and showing up to pull weeds and paint walls and tell stories. And, and that's the part that's been truly remarkable for me. Yeah, so I am curious. So when the building is ready, do you ha have a plan in place already? Like a, a party that you're going to throw, a, a theme, a celebration? <laughs> Because um, it seems like such a long time coming, like it has to be this this huge celebration. <laughs> there will Daniel, there will be Daniel there will Parker. be many of them, <laughs> I'm sure, along the way. Um, you know, we absolutely intend to, um, you know, create lots of opportunities to invite the whole community in um, to celebrate that opening, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's someone being introduced to the Y for the first time or our longtime members, program participants, um, like Brian said, our volunteers who have stuck with us relentlessly over the last, you know, 10 years. Um, being champions for this project and certainly, you know, the nearly 1400 donors, um, you know, ranging from $1 to 15 million, um, you know, we want to make sure that that they have the opportunity to see it and celebrate it. So those plans are all in the works and um, we're really looking forward to um, ending 2023 and in, in a brand new Y. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think one of the things that, well, we're looking forward to the celebration, um, but as well, we, we also recognize that there's amazing work taking place around the country. If anybody uh, has interest in reaching out, we're also happy to keep telling the story and sharing the thoughts. Some of the lessons we've learned along the way we've shared with other organizations in the state of Oregon to help them with different capital campaigns and and so we, um, we can't wait to, to see not just how um, our local community benefits from this project, but to see ways to help you know, other areas uh, around the country, around the state uh, have progress as well. Yeah, and that's always something I really love about this industry is just the openness of, of sharing knowledge and experience and resources um, so I love that. So yes, anybody listening, Brian and Danielle can answer all of your campaign questions. <laughs> Cause they're, well, and, yeah. And, and truthfully community rack, I've read a lot of articles. We've made equipment decisions because of recommendations, thoughts in there. So we're learning from the best as well, whenever we can. Oh, I appreciate that. We always love to know that it's helpful at least. So, um, cause we are just the, we are just the filter and you guys are the experts. So I love that. And I love that we can help and then also share these stories. Cause I, I love hearing about decades worth of, of experience and, and time and people who have like dedicated their lives to, to something and, and overall just to helping other people. So I think that's like, uh, what's always the most enjoyable for me when I get to sit down and talk with you all, so. 
So yes, I cannot wait to see the ribbon cutting video, photo, the celebration, the building itself. Um, I know that we will be in touch um, probably even before it's done. So I'm excited to see how it all turns out. I know it's going to be amazing, but just to stay connected with you all. Yeah, thank you, awesome. Brittany. Yeah, thanks, Brittany. Yes. Awesome. Well, and thank you all. So thanks for sharing your voice. Thanks for helping Community Rec continue to further its mission of educating and empowering community recreation professionals. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you.